I mean, have you ever met someone who has no break? I don't know if you've ever met somebody like that. They've got, they've got no break. Doesn't matter what they're doing. Their default is to turn it up to 11. Doesn't matter what's going on. They're going to go all in. People who they never tiptoe into the pool, they are always cannonball into the pool. Do you know anybody like that? They're not talking about the waves. They are making the waves. I know, I know, I know some people like that. And then you've got some other people who they are all in on making you think that they're all in. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like they're doing everything to convince you that they're all in, but they're actually not all in. Uh, uh, hey, it's Joey Tribbiani from Friends, all right? This is one of my favorite illustrations, all right? Uh, when he goes, he goes all in on making everybody think he's got a Porsche. He's got his Porsche, right? He goes on and he's got, he's got the Porsche keychain, the Porsche hat, the Porsche jacket. He's going all in to make everybody think he's got it. The problem is he doesn't own one, right? He's got cardboard boxes stuffed underneath this Porsche cover. He's doing everything he can to convince anybody who walks by got a Porsche, even though he knows he doesn't have one, right? I wonder how many people do the same thing with their faith. They'll get the keychain, the bumper sticker, the WWJD bracelet, the Bible verse on social media, but if you pop the hoods to their faith, that's all it was. It's all surface. There's really no depth to their faith. They were all on the perception of being a faith-filled person. I just want you to hear me on this. God wants more for you than a shallow, weak faith. He wants to transform your life. Like, he wants to transform the life that you're living right now. He wants to transform it. Uh, I think God's grace is big enough to redeem us, to save us, uh, to get us to heaven. And, And there's no doubt there is a future hope that we cling to But God's grace isn't just for after this life. His grace has power right here and right now in this world. And I think we often miss out on the power of God because we aren't all in, all in. One of the overarching themes of believers in the book of Acts is they were all in for the kingdom. They're all in. It's Jesus over everything. The early church's faith wasn't limited to an hour on Sundays. It was a part of their every single day life. They were committed to pursuing relationship with others, to growing their faith. They were all in for the kingdom. That kind of got me thinking, when do we go all in on something? Like, like not, not just our faith, but when do we go all in, right? When you go all in on a poker game, it's because you're confident that you can win, right? Whether you think, whether that's a bluff or you got the cards, you're gonna go all in when you think you can win. When it's an investment, you say, I'm going all in because you believe it's going to bring a good return. When you go all in on anything, you believe it. That's why you believe that eventually that will work out to be a positive. You only go all in when you believe. If you don't believe, you're not actually going to go all in. Are you all in on Jesus? And going all in on Jesus isn't uh, selling your house, emptying your bank account and your savings accounts and giving it all to the church. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Going all in is saying, Jesus, I want to pursue you first. It's asking God, how do I need to steward the money you've entrusted to me? Uh, Jesus, how do I need to respond to this tense situation? Jesus, uh, how do I need to serve my spouse? Jesus, I need wisdom on how to parent my, my children. I need Jesus to be involved in every aspect of my life. That's what it looks like going all in for the kingdom, to go all in on Jesus. And that process that of becoming more and more like Jesus, that, 
That's called sanctification. And so uh, there's something we're going to kind of get into, but how do we become more like Jesus? That process is sanctification. That's where we see the fruit of it. But how do we do that? And it's, that's called discipleship, right? Where we learn more about God and how he operates. And I think sanctification and discipleship, they're, they're tied hand in hand with one another. They're, they're different, but they're really closely related. If we were going to go through a discipleship program, it would be likely consist of, hey, you're going to read uh, the word. Uh, you're going to read this commentary. You're going to pray. You're going to spend time with God. Is that going to grow you? Yes. Sanctification is where you see the fruit of that discipleship. Uh, another way to think about it might be like this. If you were an athlete looking to improve at a sport, you might find a workout routine that's supposed to help you. You memorize the workout. You could tell me every five minutes what you're doing, how many reps, all that stuff. You know all about it, but you don't do the workout. It just stays up here. It just stays memorized. You know what to do, but you don't do it. If you know what to do, but you don't do it, it really isn't of any use, right? You might be discipled. You might know the things, but you're not living it out. That's sanctification, being more like Jesus. Uh, that's a believer who gets into the word. They know the word, but doesn't do, they don't do what the word says. Uh, Matthew 5, 44 uh, says this, says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Here's what this looks like. It'd be like saying, I'm doing my quiet time. You read that. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I got, got it. You read that in the morning, and then as soon as you're done, you get that text from a coworker that you cannot stand saying, hey, could you cover a shift for me? And they instantly start bad-mouthing that person. Am I, am I preaching anybody here? Just me like, it, it seems like I read that, and God's like, okay, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that today, right? The discipleship component was there. They were in the word, but the sanctification part wasn't. They knew it, but they didn't do it. They are learning, but it didn't translate. They're trying to learn, but it didn't translate to their real life. If we go back to that athlete illustration, if they know the workout information and then they do this thing, they're going to see results eventually. Church, it's not enough to know the word. We have to live it out. And discipleship, that's what we're going to talk about today, is learning more about Jesus and the kingdom. To, to know it so that we can go and do it. Uh, Matthew 28, you guys are probably familiar with this. It's the, the Great Commission says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, it says this, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teach these new disciples to obey all my commands. I made all the commands I've given you. You gotta teach them. And, and why are they teaching them? It's not so that it stays up here. What's the purpose of that instruction? It's so they can live it out. It's not to know it, it's to live it out. And living it out, that's what sanctification is. Discipleship, that's putting in the work. Sanctification is uh, the, pay, the payoff for that work. First uh, Corinthians 3, 6 through 8, it says this. I play, this is Paul talking. He goes, I planted seeds in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. I planted, he watered, God made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seeds grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. To steal Paul's uh, illustration here, uh, discipleship, all right, doing in things intentionally to draw closer to Jesus, that's planting and watering the seeds. Sanctification, that's the growth. And, and here's where it gets interesting. If we take that passage there, 
sanctification, the growth, it's only possible by the power of the Spirit. It's like like God makes those grow. We can't make them grow. Only God can do that. And so when we put in work to draw closer to God, to be pursuing God, to be pursuing the Holy Spirit, but to be pursuing Jesus, we aren't pursuing an ancient book or a text, right? We're pursuing our heavenly Father and we're trusting God with the growth. Uh, We just need to be faithful in doing our part. There's an important distinction there. Do you see it? If, if you're pursuing discipleship, all right, getting into the word and doing these things, uh, by means of your own discipline, you're a very disciplined person, I'm gonna do this by my power. Why would you need the spirit of God to show up? If you've got what it takes, why would you involve another party? That means we're pursuing discipleship through spiritual habits, reading your Bible, fasting, praying, serving others, being in community. We need to do those things with the heart that says, Jesus, I'm doing this because I want you. I want more of you in my life a heart that says, Holy Spirit, I want an encounter with you. Not saying, I know I need to do these things, so I'm gonna check it off my list. But we do these things so that we can encounter the living God. And I promise you, if you come with that heart, uh, that heart posture, and you stick with it, God will transform your life. And that process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus and living it out, that process is going to be a bumpy road. Uh, one of both the encouraging and discouraging things about discipleship is that it's not linear. It's not a perfect science. Uh, actually, it can be a bit of a mess. It might get worse. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, it's the same as if you're working, same as it is with sports, right? You're working on a new area of your game. It's going to start out bad but with consistent focus. Uh, it's going to get better. I love basketball, all right? My favorite sport. Like the way they dribble up and down the court. Uh, that's from a song, if you didn't know. All right. But hey, uh, one of my favorite things to do is I right, get a fadeaway jumper. Hey, you know, get that. I got the defender on your back. You jump, spin, difficult shot. But when you get it to go down, it feels so good just to look at somebody like this straight in the eye after you made a shot on them. Um, that might be my pride coming up. But, anyways, uh, my, my son a while back, he was trying to do that in the driveway. Uh, and he was trying to do it, but he couldn't, like, he was like, couldn't figure out how to get his feet and he was kind of shooting sideways. And I just showed him a few things about, hey, you need to put your foot here and then here. Maybe start a little closer to the goal. A fadeaway three-pointer is probably not like a good thing right now. And at first, it was a little rough. But he kept with it. And with some time and a lot of reps, he's got a decent little turnaround jumper now. All right? It's gotten a lot better. It was a process. The first day was ugly. But he didn't stop after the first day. Got to live through uh, the mess so that things will get better. So true in sports and just about anything in life. It's so true in our faith, in our discipleship. I heard this quote, and it's someone from the business world, but I think there's a nugget of truth there. It said, the person with the longest time horizon wins. The point being, uh, talking about businessmen, don't look for a quick profit now. The person who's looking to win the day is probably going to lose to the person who's looking to win the month, or right? having a bigger picture. Uh, Proverbs 16.32 says it this way, better a patient person than a warrior. Better a patient person than a warrior. When it comes to your discipleship journey, be patient. You are going to have ups, and you are going to have downs. Consistency is it's like a superpower. Or, or may, maybe a better way of saying it would be faithfulness. Faithfulness is like a superpower. 
if you'll be faithful in, in planting the seeds in your discipleship, I promise you, God will be faithful in providing the growth. He will. He, he will. Uh, if you spend meaningful time with God uh, daily, seeking for him to do a work in your life, and you keep at that for, for six months, a year, I guarantee it will change your life. But what happens? What happens? Uh, life gets busy. There, there's a lot of activity where we were shooting for uh, a, a long time of, of faithfulness and getting into the word and being intentional. Uh, it, it ends up being a week of consistency. And I'm okay with trying and failing. Uh, but what happens is we wonder why we're not further along when we only spent like a week being faithful. We have to prioritize our discipleship to be intentional by seeking time with God. And over time, I promise you that you will see results. I want to look at the transformation that one of the apostles go through. Now, uh, the highlights of his story are in the book of Acts, uh, but he's got plenty of ups and downs before he ever gets there. And before we get into his story, before we kind of look to ourselves after that, uh, hear me on this. God used every mountaintop moment and every valley to shape this man into the man God was calling him to be. Every single one of them. So quickly, we're going to go through some of the the ups and the downs uh, of the life of Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, Simon Peter. And so uh, we're going to read this. I got a few verses. I'm going to go quick through here. Uh, this is um, Peter. He's going to walk on water. It says, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. The disciples saw him walking on the water. They were terrified. Uh, in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Uh, but Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. He said, uh, take courage. I am here. And then Peter called out to him, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Mountaintop moment, homies walking on water with Jesus. Pretty awesome. Next verse. But then Peter saw the strong wind and the waves. He was terrified and he began to sink. He says, save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out. He grabbed him. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Uh, Peter, he, he walked on the water and then he sank. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? He's looking face to face with Jesus. Do you think those words stung when Peter heard them? I think they did. He had this high moment. I'm walking on water and then I'm sinking. Why do you have so little faith? A couple of chapters later, this happens in, in Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? He's asking, who do people say that I am? Uh, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Jesus declares that, or Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's, it's a high moment. And I think it's worth noting too that who does Jesus credit with for Peter knowing this? He says, God revealed this to you. Peter is being this one. He's walking with Jesus, but who's doing the growing? God is doing the growing. God is doing the sanctifying. And the next week, we have undoubtedly, uh, this would be Peter's lowest moment. 
uh, the night uh, Jesus is arrested. Peter denies knowing Christ three times. I'm going to read these verses here. It says, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, Are you, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everybody. I don't know what you're talking about. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, uh, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter, he, he denied it. And it was, this time with an oath, I don't even know this man. Uh, a little later, another bystander came over by Peter. And he said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your accent. And Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words, they flashed through Peter's mind. Jesus told Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter went away, weeping bitterly. Think about the pain, the anguish that Peter is feeling in this moment. Uh, When Jesus is being arrested, he basically tells Jesus, I'll never deny you, I'll die for you, and then just bam. He denies Peter Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus, the one that a while back, he said, you're uh, the Christ, the son of the living God, the one who is about to be crucified. He denies even knowing. Got some highs, he got some lows. Uh, And then after Jesus' resurrection, Peter has another moment that's incredibly powerful. It's in John 21, it says, this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples since he had been raised. After breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, uh, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question again. Uh, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus tells him, then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus told him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. And now Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And every time Peter says, yes, Lord, Jesus tells Peter, take care of my sheep. Take care of my church. Take care of the believers. He's had these ups, he's had these downs. As this moment, uh, in the first four chapters of Acts, or specifically two through four, you see Peter living out exactly what Jesus called him to do. Uh, he preaches to, to large crowds. One time he, one time he preaches and, and 3,000 people got baptized and added to the church. Um, that's a lot of people, y'all. All right. Hey, another time Peter is walking uh, and he walks by this crippled beggar. The beggar's looking for money, uh, but Pete's got something better than that. Uh, in Acts 3, uh, verse 5, it says this, the layman looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. Peter's like, hold up, I got something better than that. In verse 6, he says, I don't have silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. He didn't give himself. He gave what he had. He had Jesus. At one point, it says that Peter walked through the towns and people just wanted his shadow to cross over their mats so they would be healed so they could walk. And in Acts 5, 16, it says crowds came from the villages from the villages all around Jerusalem, bringing their sick, those possessed by evil spirits, and they were healed. Another time it says, uh, he teaches again that 5,000 men believe that's just the men, not the women or children. There's probably much bigger than that. Uh, and Peter, he eventually gets questioned and he's basically put on trial for, for some of these healings, especially that crippled man. And 
Uh, here's how he responds to these people in power, the people that are questioning him. Uh, Acts 4 verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to you and to all people of Israel, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no un- no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized these men as men who had been with Jesus. They, they were amazed at the boldness. Peter, he was talking to the councils of the rulers and elders. He spoke to them with a boldness that is just like, whew, like I might want to pull my punches a little bit and try to do the, the right thing there, right? He, he speaks boldly in front of this crowd of, of leaders. Remember earlier, this is the same guy who uh, has a little servant girl come to him and said, you know Jesus, right? He's like, I love who you're talking about. Can you see the ups and the downs in his discipleship journey? He had moments where he didn't feel like keeping the faith. I mean, he literally denies Jesus three times. He, he focused on the strength of the wind and the waves, and he sank on the water. Those are some valleys. But after the valleys, there were the mountaintop moments. He has Jesus restoring him, right? Saying, do you love me? He says, yes. He, says, he heals many. He's leading many people to Jesus. Did you know that Peter is often referred to as one of the pillars of the early church? He wasn't perfect. Uh, Peter's time with Jesus wasn't always on the up. Jesus asked him challenging questions. And Jesus also restored him and used Peter in amazing ways. Uh, Acts 4, verse 13, it's that last verse we just read. It's going to be on the screen here for you. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They could see they were ordinary men with no special training. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Peter was recognized as a man who had been with Jesus. If you look back to the passage where uh, Peter is denying Jesus, all three of those people said that they, he had been with Jesus. You're with Jesus. You know Jesus. You've been with Jesus. And every time he viewed that as a negative thing, he did not want to pay the price for knowing Jesus. Man, how things have changed for Peter. No ordinary man, no special training. And they recognized him as someone who had been with Jesus because of his boldness. He had his ups, he had his downs. His constant was pursuing Jesus. As imperfect as he was, he kept pursuing Jesus. That's discipleship. That's being all in for Jesus. They recognized him as someone who had been with God. I want to shift our focus from, from Peter and I want to look at us. Don't compare yourself with, 
with Peter or, or with anyone else. Compare yourself with you. Do you recognize you as a person who's been with Jesus? Do you recognize yourself as, uh, I'm someone who has clearly been with Jesus? God is using every mountaintop and every valley of your life to shape you into the woman or man that he is calling you to be. Don't give up on Jesus. He is never going to give up on you. He's not done with you. He has great plans for you. Don't get discouraged by the moment that you are in. God is using every high and every low to shape you into the person he is calling you to be. So don't light up. Go all in for Jesus. Invite him into every area of your life. There's going to be times where it's going to feel like it'd be easier to give up the faith. It'd be easier to stop pursuing Jesus. Just hear me on this. Stay with it. You grow more in those tough times than you will in any other. You just got to commit to pursuing Jesus over everything. And here's what's crazy. It's not by your own power that you grow, but by the power of the Holy Spirit moving in your life, I can promise you that God is going to work everything out for your good and his glory. Discipleship's not about being perfect. It's about not about knowing the right answers. It's about whether things are going well or things are going bad, I'm going to keep pursuing Jesus. Jesus over everything. The question I want you to ask yourself is, does my life look like that? Is it Jesus over everything for me? Let's pray.